sacra, or Jesus' offer of spiritual food. Now, the setting for today's reading is that of one of the three great Jewish feasts. And the three great Jewish feasts were the Passover, they were Pentecost, and this particular one, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was their harvest festival, if you like, giving thanks for God's provision. But it was so much more than that. It remembered and celebrated God's leading of the Israelites out of Israel, sorry, out of Egypt even, and out of slavery, through the wilderness and into the promised land after 40 years of wandering. It remembered both his provision and also his guidance. So in the first part of the reading today, we saw Jesus as the one who gives streams of living water. In uh, chapter 7, verse 37. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. And water was an essential part of this feast. Uh, it remembered Moses striking of the rock in the desert and bringing water forth to feed the people of Israel as they were wandering. And then all the way through it builds up. In the book of Ezekiel, you have the water flowing from the temple. And then in Zechariah, we read, if I can find it quickly enough, Zechariah 14, you read, on that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. This great idea that out of the temple itself would come living water that would bring healing to the nations and uh, feed people and become live and living. And so that was a great part of this festival. And they used to process up from the pool of Siloam with a pitcher of water, praising God, and pour it down this little funnel at the back of the altar to start off this eschatological, don't you like that word? Eschatological inbreaking. Eschatology is that time, the end times, things to come. So I'm getting carried away here. Let's cool down. So Jesus is saying, it's fulfilled in him. As he comes, he is the one to bring in this new era, this new life-giving era. He is the one that's going to feed our souls, to nourish them with this life-giving water. But then there's another aspect of the feast. Chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Because the other aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles is that of light. In the nights of celebration of the week-long festival of the temple was lit up by lights, shedding its light over the city. And one author says that the men of piety and good works danced through the night holding burning torches in their hands and singing songs and praises. I always have this... When I hear something like that, I always get this idea of the brethren doing that. Do you know what I mean? Do you get that sort of feel? No? No, okay, fine. Anyway, dancing through the night with the torches, bringing light, casting light around them. The lights represented a reminder that God led the people of Israel by a pillar of fire through the desert. It represented the reading of Psalm 119 during the feast. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
Zechariah 14 describes not only the living water coming out of the temple, it was one of the great Messianic texts, but it also included in it that on that day there would be no night, but only light. So when Jesus comes along and says, I am the light of the world at this time, in this feast, it is, ma- it is making a claim. He's making a claim that he is the Messiah, that he has come, that he is bringing light to all around him. That he is the fulfilment of these long-for prophecies. That the day has arrived when God, who first recorded words in the Bible are, let there be light, is revealing light himself. And if there isn't light, then there is only darkness. Because darkness is the absence of light. And all too often, it's so easy to walk in darkness. We had a a power cut last week that lasted nearly 12 hours um, until late evening. And what it teaches you, of course, is how much you take electricity for granted. But when you don't have it, you don't have lights, you don't have heating, you don't have appliances, you don't have TVs, you don't have computers. Electricity changes life. The way you interact and do things changes hugely by not having electricity. But it's deeper than that. Light is there to help you see. But all too often, we don't see. And what is most frightening of all is that we don't see that we don't see. Because we think we see. I'm reading a brilliant book at the moment called Willful Blindness. It's all about how we miss the obvious and how that can have a huge impact on ourselves and those around us. Willful blindness is actually a legal term, meaning that uh, if you choose to remain ignorant or close your eyes to something that should have been obvious, you are still guilty. They use it for things like um, if a group of people murder someone but they don't know or none of them are saying which one of them did it, you can actually convict all of them for murder, for willful ignorance, because you've chosen not to tell who it is. So, some of the examples of willful blindness. There was a big BP explosion in Texas City that killed a dozen people or so some years ago. And it came about because there was an edict from the top that 25% of all costs needed to be cut. Now the problem was, to do that, they had to cut beyond where it was safe. And when people questioned it, the answer from the top management was, what part of 25% don't you understand? And the key person in the accident, and the key manager, had been working 12 hours a day for a month without a day off at all. They were responsible for the safety of a key part of this refinery and they hadn't had a day off in a month. That is willful blindness. Or take the practice of x-raying pregnant women which happened up until the early 80s. There was a study done in the 1950s by a brilliant doctor which proved that it was always dangerous always dangerous to an unborn child for a pregnant woman 
to be x-rayed. But it wasn't accepted. Why? Because it didn't fit with what the doctors wanted to hear. The x-ray was a piece of amazing technology. It couldn't cause harm. And the doctors who produced results was a divorced mother of two. So they discounted her views. Or take using a mobile car, sorry, a mobile car, using a mobile phone in the car. Research was done as to the effects of using a mobile phone in the car, and they split it up into three parts. They had the control group, who were just driving normally. They had a group that they um, gave enough alcohol to make sure that they were legally drunk, and they gave a group a mobile phone. The group, there was only one group that had accidents in this controlled test. They were those with a mobile phone. Whether it was hands-free or not, they had more rear-end accidents and they braked a lot more slowly than the other two. The drunk drivers were also dangerous. They drove like maniacs right up on somebody's tail, but they actually, in this case, didn't have accidents. So it's still not advisable to do that. It's still a no-no. Because we can't cope with multitasking. Now, all the evidence is there, but most people who have a mobile phone at some point have used their mobile phone in the car while they're driving because they've had a phone call come in, and even if it's just to say, I'm sorry, I'm, on the, I'm in the car, I'm driving, that's even beyond that if you've been texting while you've been driving or phoning while you've been driving. That's willful ignorance. How many times do we see things that are wrong or think might be wrong and we don't see or do anything about it? We may grumble about it to one another, but we don't stand up about it. It's someone else's problem. Someone else will deal with it. How many times in companies or organisations in which we've worked have we seen things being done wrong and the most we'll end up doing is grumbling about it to a work colleague? We don't say to our boss, no, I think that's wrong. I don't see why we should be doing that. Because most of us don't. It's someone else's problem. Someone else will deal with it. And then comes along Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. And that has the ability to change everything. To enable us to see clearly. To enable us to learn how to see our past. The Times columnist, Matthew Paris, said this of Christianity in Africa. Now, a confirmed atheist, that's because he is, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government government projects and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. This from an atheist. This is Jesus acting as the light of the world guiding people. Matthew Paris, in his article, argued that Christianity released people from groupthink, from tribal oppression. Jesus is the light of the world who guides us if we will have eyes to see, if we will let him light our path, to see the light of the world means that we begin to see the darkness around us, to start understanding 
when things are wrong. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness occurs when we don't seek light, when we don't turn the light on. In, its, in our case, it's when we don't let Jesus into our life, into our situations. When we try and do life on our own, when we don't let Jesus into every area of our lives. If we don't let him into our work life, our relationships, our morals, then we're living in darkness. If we're always making excuses for ourselves, then we aren't allowing the light of Jesus to shine into our lives. Lighting up the areas that need clearing. Lighting up the path that we should walk in. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. By following Jesus, it means that he shines his light into our situations that we find ourselves in. When we truly trust him, he shows us the way through. He gives us strength to take decisions that may be difficult, but are right. Difficult decisions to stand up for others in an organisation or in the workplace. Difficult situations in regard to our families that we know are wrong, but we think we need to speak into. It means that walking in the light, we worry more about pleasing Jesus than we do about pleasing our work colleague or our boss or pleasing our family. It means that we don't have to be ashamed of our faith and we also don't need to be aggressive or feel besieged in our faith because if we're walking in the light, we have a calmness about it. We know what we believe in. I remember when I was in business, how often people used to, especially in a group situation, would, would try and gang up and make fun of my faith. It never worried me in the least. I didn't give a monkey's what they thought. And it was quite fun in many ways. If you relax and enjoy it, go along for the ride, then actually people start coming up to you afterwards and say, I'm really uh, yeah, so amazed about this faith. Can you talk to me about it? But it's not only our own personal path that he lights up, he lights up the path of his people. In the desert, leaving slavery in Egypt, the pillar of fire lit up the way of the whole people of Israel, not just individual paths. So too for us, as a church, we can say he lights up our path. He leads us on. He's led us amazingly over the past 20 years. It's not always been easy, but it's always been amazing. When you look at the provision he's made, even financially, which is sometimes has worried me, God has given us all we've needed unto the day. He's an amazing God. But he does it to wherever we are, because sometimes we either keep it to our individual self or to the life of the church, but we don't apply it to our life in our organisation or our company or, our, or whatever it is we work. But most companies and most organisations, especially larger ones, have Christians in them. People who can pray with us, advise us, help us when we wonder if what is going on is right or not. Can help us to make a stand when we need to and help others as well. I've told you several times about a situation when I was in business and, um, and it's not because I was better, it just happened to me and I remember the story. It was that in this particular situation, God appeared to use my actions to shed light. We were being taken over by another company and the person who wanted to take us over was 
was a, um, was, I've told you before, was into pornography and into a whole load of dodgy areas of business. And it really wasn't something I wanted to be part of. A- and I really felt, supported by the Christian friends, I was asked to go and do the main presentation to the person taking us over. And I said to my president, I don't want to do it. And he said, I'm ordering you to do it. And I said, why did you ask me? There's other people senior to me. He said, yes, but I know you're a Christian, you won't lie. So I went along and I said in the taxi, I really don't want to do this. He said, tough. So I got there and I knew others were praying for me. And I gave the presentation as it was requested. And I went back to the office and I went into my boss's office and I handed in my resignation. By the end of that day, every manager bar one had resigned and the deal had to be called off because they needed the people. That's God, in a simple way there, using faithfulness of a group of people to shed light. It was interesting, Luke was saying earlier on about saying no. And, and some people, I think, wonder, why on earth am I so keen on people saying no? Why, why, I mean, most churches are desperate for leaders, so why am I so keen on people saying no or stepping down? You see, I think it comes down to this, that most people don't know how to say no. Most people don't know how to refuse, and they do things out of guilt, as opposed to doing things because they actually feel called to do something. And so my theory goes like this. The more you practice in saying no to things that really aren't for you, and that you really don't want to do and you don't want to have part of, the stronger, A, you'll feel to say no in other areas of your life, but also, even more importantly, you will know how to say yes to something that excites you and that you know is God-given and that you'll be able to say releases you. So saying no allows you to say a bigger yes to something that God's really wanting you to do. Able to say no to me it's great practice to say for, to no in your workplace, your other organisations. I should ask you something every week, then you can say no every week. You'll be so strong. Somebody once said, you need to say no at least once a day to be able to feel that you're no longer out of control and just doing things because you're feeling guilty. Jesus says he is the light of the world. He lights up the world and not just our path. He is the glory of God. And when we start walking that way, then we are freed. We can see. We can see when our company or organisation manipulates us. We can see when we're being asked to do stuff out of guilt rather than because we know this is what God's called us to. We can see when, we're, when, when things are just wrong and it's time to say no, no more. 1938, all the nations got together in Switzerland and met with Goebbels about the Jewish refugee problem. No other country was prepared to take in Jewish refugees. And Goebbels wrote in his diary... Everybody else wants to do what we do, but they're not brave enough to do it. It 
In other words, everybody else wants to destroy the Jews, but we're the only ones brave enough to do it. When we allow people to take steps that are wrong, you never know where that can lead. When we don't challenge. And church is a great place to start challenging. And by the way, if anyone stands for the PCC, that's a brilliant place. Practice on me. It's good so that we can see the light of Jesus in our lives, in our church's life, in the wider society's life. Because Jesus being the light of the world is not just a personal thing, but it is that. It's a thing for the entire world. And as we live in that way, we can see so much changed, so many people set free, so many organisations doing the right thing rather than just colluding. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. Now we're going to have a song also. Well, we've got, you've got six minutes, seven minutes. Um, but we'd love to pray with you. Now there's some of you who know that you maybe you're grappling with a, a situation at work or in your family or an organisation and you're not sure what to do and you need the light of Jesus shining on your path to show you the way and we'd love to pray with you for that this morning. We're not going to solve your problem. That's Jesus' thing to do. But we'd love to pray with you for that. And then there's others of you who are saying, actually, do you know what? I'm feeling actually in a bit of darkness at the moment and I just need light. I need light, Jesus' light on me. And we'd love to pray with you for that as well, that Jesus is showing his light on you and help you. Shall we stand? Jesus, we welcome you here this morning and we ask that you'd pour your light into our hearts and into our minds, that you'd help us to walk in your ways and to live in the glorious light that you want to pour in and through us. In Jesus' name, Amen. We say together, Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. We stand to sing our final song. The Spirit of truth lead you into all truth, give you grace to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and strengthen you to proclaim the word and works of God and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son 
and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.